if, if you remember, when we were talking about uh, what you might call low-tech low ways of having children, so we talked about adoption. So let me, let me review that very, very quickly. I don't want to go over everything we went over already. Uh, you adopt a child, right? So it's not, your, it's not biologically your child. And the husband does not fulfill cru or vu by an adopted child. But still, uh, you're raising a child, and uh, that counts for quite a lot. And Chazal say that if you raise an orphan and you give them a family, uh, in some level it's as if you created them, you gave birth to them, and, and the like. Now, again, the important thing to remember is that adoption does not make a child Jewish. Very fundamental. Adoption is a legal proceeding in a court, and it has nothing to do with making the child Jewish. In order for a child to be Jewish, if they're non-Jewish, you have to convert them. There has to be what is called a giyor. And uh, so let's contrast and compare for a moment the difference between the giyor of an adult and the giyor of a child or a baby. Two different things. The giyor of an adult, a man requires three things and a woman requires two things. This is an adult. The man's three steps are bris mila, circumcision, l'shem uh, geris, for the purpose of conversion. What if the man's already circumcised? What if he had a medical circumcision, which is very common? Right? When he was a little baby, he had a, a medical circumcision as a goy. Now he wants to convert at age 25. How do we do the bris mila for conversion. So it's important to know this. Uh, there is something called hatafas dam bris. That simply means we do a pinprick on the organ to bring out some drops of blood, and that would take the place of a full-fledged bris mila if he already had a circumcision. It doesn't, it's not as bad as it sounds. It actually does not hurt that much. They can put a local anesthetic there. It's like a pinprick, imagine, a pinch. That's it. So that's step number one, is brit mila. Step number two is immersion in a kosher mikvah. And step three is acceptance of the mitzvos. And that means uh, I declare in front of a basin of three rabbis that I accept upon myself all of the Torah, all of the halacha, the written Torah, the oral Torah, and will follow the laws of the Shulchan Aruch. Okay, that is called Kabbalah's mitzvahs. If a person says, I accept everything but one, in other words, I don't like the, words, I accept the whole Torah, but I don't like the rule about uh, whatever it is, we cannot convert him because there has to be 100% acceptance of the Torah. Okay, so the three steps are uh, Mila, Tevila, Tevila is immersion in the mikvah, Kabbalah's mitzvahs. For a woman, that's an adult, two steps, uh, mikvah and Kabbalah's mitzvahs, right? Mila is not, obviously not, not, not relevant, okay? So that's pretty simple. Three steps for a man, two steps for a woman. Now, let's focus on this for a little bit. What happens if a person converts to Judaism and then at some point in their life stops being observant? They stop keeping commandments. 
they go off the derech. They start violating Shabbos. They start uh, eating treif. Does that invalidate the conversion? Are they now considered goyim because they no longer keep the Torah? You're correct. Uh, it's very important that you understand once a person has converted with a proper basin, has to be a proper basin, they are Jewish. They are as Jewish as a born Jew. Now, if a born Jew stops keeping the Torah, they're still Jewish. In fact, if a born Jew even converts to Christianity, they're still Jewish. You can't stop being Jewish. So a person who converts is just as Jewish as somebody who was born Jewish. So the same way if you're born Jewish, you can't stop being Jewish. A converted Jew, assuming it was a proper basin, that's very important. If the basin was not kosher, then it's not a conversion. But assuming there was a proper conversion, they can't get out of it. You cannot renounce it. So this is important because you sometimes read in the Jerusalem Post or you know, other newspapers, something that says the Rabbanot invalidated conversions because the converts stopped keeping mitzvahs. That can't be true. And that can't be right. I heard that somewhere. And I was like, yeah, is, that, is that even possible? No, that's what I'm saying. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to read that description and that is absolutely not correct. I'll tell you what, what they should have written in a moment. Okay? A conversion is not invalidated because the gear stops keeping the toe. Ah, but here is the thing. There's a difference between a person who sincerely meant to keep the Torah and then has a change of heart or a change of circumstance versus somebody who never meant it in the first place. Meaning, if somebody defrauded the basin, somebody told the basin, I accept the Torah, when it's clear that at that very time they didn't accept. It's not that we're invalidating the conversion. There never was a conversion because conversion requires acceptance of mitzvahs. So the only way we could invalidate a conversion is if it is determined that there was no intention even at the time. Now, that's going to be difficult because how do I know? Meaning like this. Somebody converts. They tell me, let's say, let's say I'm on the basement. They tell me they accept the Torah. And then a month later, somebody says, hey, you know, I saw them uh, eating, eating uh, ham sandwiches. I saw them uh, driving on Shabbos. Well, how can I read their mind? Meaning, if they were sincere and then they fell back, the conversion is valid. If they were defrauding me and lying and cheating at the time, the conversion is not. So that's where things get very, very murky. Now, a lot of times it's a question of time. If somebody was keeping Shabbos for five years and then stopped keeping Shabbos, I can assume they were sincere at the time. If somebody went to the mikvah at 11.30 and at 12 o'clock they're eating a ham sandwich, I can assume they were not sincere. All right, so there are going to be extreme cases where you know one way or the other. But a lot of cases we're not sure. In other words, what happened here? Was there a change of mind? Or was there like a defrauding of us to begin with? So that's the question, okay? So that's a good question, and you know, sometimes we're not going to know. But it is important to understand that if there was a sincere acceptance of the mitzvot, and then the person changed their mind, their conversion is 100% valid.
Okay, you cannot invalidate a conversion because somebody stopped being religious. Yeah. I'm sorry, I missed what you said initially. So to convert, you have to accept the Torah. Is it the whole Torah or is it like the three primary kosher Shabbat? Okay, so this is this is where we get it, we get tricky. It's, the, technically, the laws of conversion are the whole Torah, meaning even if you accept Shabbat and Kashrut and family purity, but you don't accept other things, uh, we shouldn't convert you. But, but, here too we have some subtle differences. Sometimes a person says, I believe in it and I accept it, but I'm not quite ready yet to observe it. That's a little different. We might say, as long as you're committed right now to the fundamentals, the details can come later. But that's only because you kind of commit yourself that I'm moving in that direction. But if you were to say, I just don't agree with that mitzvah, we would not convert you even for the smallest thing. Right? So there's a difference between your willingness to actually do it versus your willingness to accept it as the goal to which you're moving. Okay, that, that is an important distinction. Yeah. That family that the, the husband was pretending to be a rabbi, yep. were they... The, no, there was no conversion at all. They were pure, pure non-Jews. They didn't even have a conversion. You know, frankly, to me, it's quite amazing. Some, <laughs> whatever, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to get into the uh, particulars. But somebody moves into a community uh, and somehow uh, is able to write get in the, write, Writing a get is, is considered to be like the most you know, strictest thing because... You know, it's one thing, if, if, if somebody marries you who's not a proper uh, rabbi, whatever it is, you know, the marriage is, the evidence going to be valid. Uh, but if someone writes a get, and the get is no good, I mean, the woman is committing adultery, her kids could be mamzerim, so how does a newcomer to a community get to write a get is frankly beyond me. I mean, uh, but whatever, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I, I really didn't know any part of the story till after everything was revealed, so I don't know the history of how this started. And by the way, the same thing, there's a similar case in the United States. I mean, I, maybe this is a new tactic by Christian missionaries that they are impersonating Orthodox rabbis. I don't think it's widespread. Well, it's not widespread because I tell you, because it's, it's, it's very labor intensive. I mean, it's amazing because this guy here was a learned person. He was a learned person. I mean, he knew, he knew halacha, he knew Kabbalah. He had a blog about Kabbalistic blog. I, I mean, I've read it over the years. I mean, before this was uncovered, you know, he was very knowledgeable. So this is not for just a stam guy who wants to be a missionary. He, he impersonates a rabbi. Uh, you have to, you know, invest a lot of time. The KGB was that way in Russia. The KGB was so into uncovering Jews who were learning Torah, they would send an agent to like learn 10 years in a yeshiva. Right? So, so the agent, Mamish, would almost like be a rabbi and then he'd be able to infiltrate. That's, that was that's the investment. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a commitment. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, the KGB guy learns more than a lot of, guy, a lot of guys in the yeshiva. You know? He comes out an actual rabbi, doesn't he? He, 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 he really knows his stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe some did chuba. I don't know. <laughs> that, would, that would be nice. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Where, where was I? Oh, okay, okay. So that, that's, that's how regular conversion works. Now, let me just mention one other thing about women's conversions that's actually very interesting. It's a little bit of a delicate topic. The halacha basically is that everything has to be in front of the basin. So the man has a bris, it's in front of the basin, or the, the pricking, uh, the mikvah is in front of the basin, the mitzvahs are in front of the basin. Now that also means when a woman goes to the mikvah, 
it has to be in front of the basin. Uh, in other words, she doesn't just go into a room, close the door, and, and go under with even with a mikvah lady. The basin actually has to see her go under the mikvah. So that obviously raises some, some obvious uh, issues about sneos and, and the like. Uh, so how is, how, how is this done, practically? I meaning how is it done to try to preserve sneos in the best way in the best way possible? So the way it works, practically, is, is this. The basin does not have to see the woman dunk. They have to see that nothing is above the water, meaning they have to see that she's totally under and not even a hair. So the way it works is there's a mikvah lady with her, and uh, the mikvah lady gets her, in, you know, prepares and she gets her into the mikvah, and then the mikvah lady just kind of calls us. You know, we're on the other side of the door. The door is open. We see that there's nothing above the water. So we don't see anything. When we see there's nothing above the water, we just turn away. So literally, we look for, uh, you know, two seconds, whatever, whatever it would be. Okay, that's that's how, how, how this is done. Again, it's a little, always a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, but but uh, the basin does not uh, see the woman in an unsinious, in an unsinious way. Okay. Now, another issue about conversion of women that I want to raise is... The conversion, oh, I'm sorry, before I get to that, let me talk about conversion of minors, right? So this is conversion of adults. Let's talk about conversion of minors. Now, conversion of minors can be anything from a newborn baby to a 11-year-old, 11-month girl or a 12-year-old, 11-month boy. In other words, uh, you are considered to be a minor until you are bas mitzvah or bar mitzvah. So this can be a one-day-old baby or it could be a 12-year-old boy or an 11-year-old girl. All of this is the same principle, the gior of a katan. Yeah. So the rule basically is this. Uh, two of the steps for the boy are going to be the same, bris mila and mikvah. And for a woman, it'll be mikvah. But the difference is mitzvos. This is very important. Obviously, a katan is not able to accept mitzvos. So first of all, if they're a baby, they obviously can't. And even if they're uh, 10 or 11, Halakhically, they can't because they don't have the maturity or the judgment. So the way it works is the acceptance of mitzvos is by the parents that are raising the child. Now this would be true either if it's an adopted child or the child of an intermarriage where the mother is not Jewish. In other words, there'll be two scenarios where you will convert a baby or a minor. Scenario one is you have a Jewish couple that is adopting a non-Jewish child. Scenario two is you have an intermarried couple or, or uh, uh, well, uh, three scenarios. One is both husband and wife are not Jewish and they have children. So husband and wife are converting and the child is being converted. That's where everybody's a guy. Or you can have a situation where father is Jewish, mother is not Jewish, they have a kid who's not Jewish, and mother and child are converted. Either way. But these are the scenarios where children get converted, and basically the parents are the ones who accept in front of the basin that they are going to raise the child in accordance with halacha. Now here, this is, this, is, this is maybe what you were thinking about. Here, the standard might be a little different. If you're an adult wanting to convert, you have to accept the whole Torah. 
But to allow the conversion of a minor by the parents, some say we just insist on the big three, kosher, Shabbos. Actually, we don't even insist on Taras and Mishpacha because it's not connected. Family purity is not connected to this boy, but we, but we would insist on Jewish education. So the big three for the conversion of a minor is a Shabbos, kosher, and uh, Orthodox Jewish education. So some require the same standard as an adult conversion, and some allow it uh, based on a more relaxed standard. Different postcom go different ways. Uh, but what is unique about the conversion of a minor is that the child can renounce their conversion when they reach adulthood. And uh, they don't have to reconvert. It's the other way around. They can renounce it. If they don't renounce it, they're Jewish. But they can say, I don't want to be Jewish anymore. But they have to do it as soon as they know. The day that they know they can renounce, they have to renounce. If they don't renounce that day, they're bound. But they don't find out until they're 20 that they can renounce. So Rev. Feinstein says if they find out when they're 50, they could renounce it that day. But just that day. Just for that day. Okay? So this is an important difference between the conversion of an adult and the conversion of a minor. The conversion of an adult, you cannot change your mind. Once you're Jewish, you're Jewish. The conversion of a minor, the minor is given a limited opportunity to renounce. Now again, I, I want to correct a misconception. I hear people always say the child must reconvert when they become bar mitzvah. No, no, no. They don't have to reconvert. It's the other way around. If they don't renounce when they find out that they could, they are automatically converted by virtue of the earlier conversion. Now, I think I had told you that how do you take a baby to the mikvah? Uh, you don't throw the baby. Obviously, if it's a 10-year-old kid, they, go, they can go to the mikvah. Uh, but if it's a baby, you don't throw him into the mikvah. Rather, usually, uh, daddy or abba will go into the mikvah, hold the baby draped over his arms, and lower it. And it's important that the baby's face be face first, face down, face down, because there's actually a swimming reflex. He holds his breath automatically and no water goes into his uh, mouth or his lungs. Uh, because if he hits it the back of the head, he might swallow water. Again, it's not, not so dangerous, but uh, it'll be uncomfortable for the baby. So face first, and you can do this at any age, and in fact, it's best to do it under six weeks because the swimming reflex is good. So uh, you actually do it early, as early as you can rather than later. Uh, but you have, but if it's a boy, you have to do the bris first. So it takes a little bit of time for the bris to heal. So if you, if you do the bris, uh, you wait around a week before you go to the uh, make for water. Yeah. I'm just wondering, because I have a friend who's making beer, and her son is just turned 10. And they told her that he had to wait till he was 13, so he could do bar mitzvah and beer at the same time. But he's going like Jewish education now and everything, but they literally told her, He's three years away from the but he needs to like... See, I'm, I'm not sure what, what their cheshbon is. May, maybe they're afraid uh, that, you know, if they convert him as a minor, maybe he won't want to be Jewish or they want to wait. But I mean, Lamaisa, if he would have been a baby, we could have converted him. So you can convert him at 10 or 11 too, hmm. right? So I, I don't see why you have to wait uh, for the bar mitzvah. But it could just be that they're just afraid that maybe, uh, you know, he, doesn't, he won't want it, etc. Yeah. In fact, we had a problem. Uh, what was it? Uh, this was a problem a few years ago in which uh, 
Not keep, I'll, I'll skip that for now. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, the issue was that uh, there was a, a very doubtful conversion, and the school kept on wanting to improve the conversion, but they never got around to it. And it turned out that the girl was uh, the, valedict- the Hebrew valedictorian for the whole, whole Jewish school. But they didn't know what to do because she may not have been Jewish. Whatever. It, it goes back to the idea that what a lot of Jewish schools have, again, this is probably not a problem in Chabad schools, but in modern Orthodox schools, a very common problem we have is that there are many couples who are intermarried. So you have Jewish man, non-Jewish woman, they have a kid. The kid is not Jewish. But the kid is not yet ready for conversion because the kid doesn't have a Jewish education. So the father wants to send the kid to a Jewish school to get a Jewish education so the girl or the boy will then be able to decide they're ready to convert. So what does a school do? Should a school accept a non-Jewish student in the hope that they'll convert? A minor needs Jewish education before he converts? No, but the problem would be that uh, they don't want to convert a child unless the child will will be having a Jewish education. Meaning... uh, we want the child to keep mitzvahs. We don't want to have a child that's converted and not keeping mitzvahs, right? We want to raise them with mitzvahs. So you need a child over 12 or 13? No, no, even under under 12. Under 12. So why can they convert them first and then convert Well, the problem was that, uh, you see, in a case where the mother also converts, that would work. But let's say the mother didn't convert. So in such a situation... We, we, you know, Basin wants to be sure that the kid is going to be committed to mitzvahs because they're not going to have that same support because they don't have a mother that's you know, keeping mitzvahs, right? So what happened, I don't remember all the story anymore, what happened was uh, that they initially accepted the girl on the condition that she convert within a year. This was like in second grade. But they just forgot about it. So it's second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, uh, she still hasn't converted. And uh, she, her grades are she's the Hebrew valedictorian for the school. So they call me after they, they called me and they say, <laughs> I, I, I knew nothing about it. They say, what do we do? Uh, our valedictorian is not Jewish. What do we do about that? Uh, so whatever. So uh, she did convert eventually, and I understand that she's living in Yerushalayim and uh, has a family and a kolel husband and all of these good things. But uh, it was an interesting question that, that comes up a lot. Okay. So now let me a just. Lot? I would think that like intermarried yeah. couples are not necessarily like the Jewish ones committed to mitzvahs, no? Well, uh, more than you would think. More, more than you would think. Uh, sometimes a person is not ready for conversion, but they want their children to be raised Jewish for whatever reason. So you do have that split, uh, split situation. In fact, I had one case, this is an interesting case, where um, a Jewish man, in fact, this actually was a kind of a Chabad Baal Shuba. a Jewish man was married to a non-Jewish woman, Japanese woman, and the kids were raised, uh, were converted, totally religious, and she was totally religious. She kept every mitzvah, every mitzvah, but she didn't convert. So why didn't she convert? She was keeping everything. She was separating, you know, 12 days a month, going to the mikvah. But she didn't convert because she was a Japanese woman. Japanese have so much respect for their parents. She thought she would hurt her parents' feelings. So she did everything her husband wanted, and she did everything her parents wanted. 
So the mice said she didn't convert. No, of course he's not. He's not allowed to be married to a non-Jewish woman. <laughs> but she was doing the best she could. Finally, uh, someone talked sense into her that she, she, Hashem, she did convert because she, she was doing everything. That, that's the issue. She was keeping every mitzvah. Why not convert? You know, what's going on? I mean, she was keeping every kashras law and every tyrus and mishpacha law. So someone, you're generally not supposed to convince people to convert. But someone who's living a life like that yeah, the halacha, the halacha, first of all, is if you have a, an intermarriage, an intermarriage, the halacha is you are allowed to encourage conversion if it's sincere. You don't do fake conversions. But if a Jew is married to a guy, we are allowed to be proactive in encouraging conversion. Now, again, I, I want to repeat, uh, we don't do a conversion if there's no sincerity. We don't do a fake, quickie conversion. But we can try to encourage a sincere exploration into Judaism. Okay. Alrighty. So we talked about briefly conversion of adults and conversion of minors. Okay? Now I'm going to talk about an intermediate category, conversion of fetuses. Uh, what happens when a woman is pregnant and she converts? Can a woman convert while she is pregnant or do we have to wait until the child is born. Right? Once the child is born, we can do a baby conversion, right? But can a woman convert when she's pregnant? And will the child be born Jewish? So the truth of the matter is, uh, it is halachically better not to convert. Well, the woman will be a giyaris for sure, but in terms of the fetus's status, because here is, let me, let me explain what the shayla is. The shayla is a very interesting analytical shayla. If a baby is converted in utero, is the baby a convert or is the baby a born Jew? Because you see the problem here. The baby was converted while the mother was pregnant. This is assuming that it does convert the baby. Oh, okay. All right. So maybe I'll start with that. Okay. Let me, let me start with that. The Gemara lays down a rule. Okay. That's an important rule. The Gemara lays down a rule that when a pregnant woman converts, goes to the mikvah, the immersion in the mikvah is good for the baby as well. So the baby is converted along with the mother. That, that is a rule in the Gemara itself. But the question is, analytically, how do we understand that? Because there are two ways you can look at it. You can say, the baby has been converted. Or you could look at it another way. Since the mother converted before the baby was born... The baby was born from a Jewish mother. So the baby is not a converted Jew. The baby is a born Jew because the baby was born from a woman who already converted. So the question is, and I'm going to give you some differences. This is not just a theoretical question. Is the baby kind of a converted baby? Or is the baby a born Jew because he was born from a Jewish mother after her conversion? Now, what difference does that make? Either way, the kid is Jewish. Either way, the kid is Jewish, right? So what's the difference? So I'll give you uh, two differences. Difference number one, if it's a girl, can she marry a Kohen? This is actually very, very important. Remember that a non-Jewish girl who undergoes conversion cannot marry a Kohen. So... 
if the girl would be born and we, could, we would convert her even as a baby, she couldn't marry a Kohen. On the other hand, a Jewish girl can marry a Kohen, right? I mean, right? So, so the question is, a conversion in utero, if she has the status of a baby convert, she could not marry a Kohen. If she's a born Jew, she could marry a Kohen, right? So that's a big halakhic uncertainty, right? It's a question. Now, question number two. Whether it's a boy or a girl, could they renounce their conversion? Because remember, if a baby is converted, they could renounce it at 13 or 12. So, if this fetus is like a, a baby conversion, they would have the right to renounce. But if they're a Jew by birth, they could not. So that would be a question too, right? And issue number three, if it's a boy, is the boy Jewish until he has his bris? Now normally, a regular Jewish boy is, is a Jewish boy, is a Jew even before the bris. The bris is a mitzvah. If this is a conversion, then the boy only had the immersion in the mikvah. He didn't have the bris yet. He wouldn't be Jewish until the bris. But if he's a born Jew, because he's born from the woman after her conversion, the bris would be a mitzvah, but he would still be Jewish even before the bris. You see? Does, so, well, it does have some ramifications that might be quite tragic, and that is, let's say, God forbids, uh, the baby is in sakana, is in danger. Would you be allowed to drive to the hospital to save his life. According to the strict law of the Gemara, pikuach nefesh, to violate the Shabbos, is only permitted for a Jew and not permitted for a Goy. So if the baby for his first eight days has the status of a Goy, technically you might not be allowed to violate Shabbos for him. Right? So that, that is fairly, might be fairly important. Right? So the point I'm making is this. Again, I don't want to confuse you too much. I'm just making a point. People actually would do that, though? Would not do... I mean, not... Would, would, like, let's say uh, a couple who converted has a and they were their child was already born, they wouldn't be able to... No, no. In other words, the child they converted while she was pregnant. Remember, if, if the child... If she, if she gets pregnant after her conversion, the child is a born too. You mean a case where the... In other words, I'm discussing where the woman converted while she was pregnant. Right, but I'm saying, well, let's say she converted... Yeah, the issue would be she converted while she was pregnant and then the baby was born. Well, let me point out, you could certainly call a guy, you could actually ask a guy to do, do, do malacha for, for the child, that's not a problem, but the Jew themselves might not be allowed. The point I'm making, is, I, don't, I don't want to get too complicated, I'm just making a point that there's some very difficult halachic questions what is the status of a, uh, of a fetus where the mother undergoes a conversion? And the question is, is the fetus, when born, a Jew by birth or a Jew by conversion? And uh, that has some practical differences. And the status of the child is not clear. And because of this, many Bastins will prefer not to convert a woman when she is pregnant and they will prefer uh, to wait until the child is born and then they'll do a baby conversion, uh, convert her and convert the baby 
and uh, then we'll know. We, we know. we know the laws of baby conversion. She cannot marry a Kohen, etc. If it's a boy, he'll need a bris to be Jewish. And when he's 13 or 12 for a girl, they could renounce that. In other words, once it's a baby conversion, the halachas are going to be clear. A fetal conversion, the halachas are, are not clear. Okay? It absolutely is connected to surrogate mother uh, as to who is the mother. That, that's correct. Yeah. That, that is correct. It's very good, very good that you made that connection. Yeah. I have, um, I know a couple where the husband is a Kohen and she, her father's Jewish and her mother, I think, did a reform conversion or something like that. So before they got married, she did an Orthodox conversion. Yeah. But while, my while, while, is, while she was pregnant, then? No, no, she, oh, this has oh, not to do with baby, okay. but just in general. Yeah, she she yes. did an Orthodox conversion. Yeah. He's a Kohen, but he's still participating as like a Kohen. Wow, wow. Is that, I don't understand how that works. Yeah, well, you're 100% right. Uh, logically, it shouldn't work. Everyone, everyone heard the problem here? The problem basically is that you have a Kohen, and the Kohen married a woman that had a reform conversion. Well, which, her mother did. Or her mother did. Her so mother she did. had an Orthodox one. But, but the wife uh, had an Orthodox conversion. And she remains married to the Kohen. Now, that's impossible, right? It's not, number one, a Kohen is not allowed to marry a converted a woman. And uh, even if he's willing to sin, we couldn't do the convert. In other words, for her, to, for her to be converted, she had to accept the commandments. And one of the commandments is a Kohen doesn't marry a converted woman. So uh, how could we do it? So the only thing I could answer is, that it could very well be that the basin determined he was not really a Kohen. And that, 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 that happens quite frequently because it is surprisingly easy for a person who thinks he's a Kohen to find out that he's not a Kohen. You can't resign. Now, the, the, people make it. Sometimes people say, I want to resign it. <laughs> no, you cannot resign. If you're a Kohen, you cannot resign it. But halakhically, there are ways you could be disqualified. You, you, you can have been disqualified. For example, let me give you a simple example. If a Kohen marries a divorced woman, which he's not allowed to do, the child they have is not a Kohen. Not a, he's not a Mamja, but he's not a Kohen. Uh, if a Kohen marries a Gioris, a convert, the child they have is not a Kohen. So it could be that they, they found out something in that past that would... But then if he, let's say that that's the loophole that they found, then how is he able to participate as like a Kohen in the Shul? You have a very good question. You can't, I, I don't know. Uh, what, what, what city is this? Maybe not. <laughs> okay, don't tell me. Okay. I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You're 100% correct. Uh, if there is a psak that he is allowed to marry a Gioris because he is not a real Kohen, if that is the loophole that they found, and again, that can be legitimate, then he cannot, he cannot say, he cannot be called to the Torah first, 100%. You can't be both. You can't be a Kohen and, marry, and be married to a Gioris. Can you be a Baskoi and marry a convert? Yes, yes, yes. This is very important. All of the restrictions on Kohen's marrying are on the man Kohen marrying a certain type of woman. A Baskoi can marry uh, any type of man. Hmm. Yeah. Why can't a Kohen marry a divorced woman who has a non-Jewish husband? Uh, okay, here's the problem. The problem with a, a, a woman that had a non-Jewish husband is not that she's divorced. It's that she had intercourse with a non-Jew. One of the things, maybe we'll talk about it next week, one of the things that disqualifies a woman from having, uh, being married to a Kohen is she had intercourse with a non-Jew, even if it was casual intercourse. But I heard that if they, if they didn't have a baby and then they divorced, then the assumption is that they didn't have intercourse, therefore she can marry a Kohen. 
That sounds pretty crazy to me. They were married. They were married. That was, yes, like, yeah. in my community, we had, it's, it's a bit more complicated, but we had Kohen who married a woman, she was Jewish, but she had a non-Jewish husband, so he, he, he was Kohen in the community until they found out that they actually had a child together. Oh. With the previous. <laughs> the the well, woman had a child with the previous non-Jewish husband, I hear so therefore you. that this... They must have had relations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty lenient view, I would think. In other words, once people are married... Unless they got divorced like a day after the marriage or something, uh, if they were married for a year or something, we assume they had they had they consummated the marriage. I mean, that's a pretty it's safe assumption. Like yeah. So I, again, let, let me just emphasize the obvious: uh, a woman does not have to be a virgin to marry a kohen. If if a woman had sexual relations with a Jewish man, and she's not divorced, she she wasn't married, she is allowed to marry a kohen. Uh, a lot of people sometimes get mixed up about that. Uh, a woman is allowed to marry a Kohen even if she's not a virgin. The only person she cannot marry is a Kohen Godol, which we don't have today. Uh, but if she had intercourse with a non-Jew, whether in marriage or not, that would disqualify her from marrying a Kohen. Yeah. Um, is it like considered like a sin to for a Kohen man to give up being a Kohen to marry a woman? Jewish and divorced? It absolutely is a sin because you cannot give it up. Oh, okay. Uh, you, so therefore, it's a sin. There's no such thing as giving it up. Okay. The, the most we can do is we can look into the past lineage and we can determine that. So there's the person's so for a woman, then, if a man offers, the answer needs to be no because you don't want... That, that is the answer. That, that's correct. These are these are very difficult... Accessible. Uh, yeah. These are difficult questions because yeah. sometimes people don't even know these laws until they're already far advanced. And it's a very, very big uh, challenge and struggle uh, to give up uh, a relationship. Bet, or yeah, but that's correct. You cannot, you cannot do that. Okay. All right. You all be well, everybody, and I hope uh, your fast should uh, be meaningful. Technically speaking, is the is the prohibition on the just on the men on the Kohen? You you are correct, uh, but as as was just said, the problem of okay, if a Kohen marries a divorced woman, the sinner is the Kohen, not the woman. You're right. But the woman is enabling him to commit that sin, so that's a sin too. One of the averis of the Torah is not putting a stumbling block in front of a blind man, which is defined as don't cause somebody else to sin. So if you are correct, it is the man that is transgressing, but the woman is the enabler. And that's, and that's why they won't convert a woman who's planning on marriage. That's right. Even though you're, that's correct. Even though a Kohen living with a guy is a lot worse than living with a Giyaris, but we can't allow her, as a Jew, to be a, an enabler. Just can't go